Substance use disorder is an illness that impacts both individuals and families and has become our nation's number one health epidemic. In studio today, we're joined by industry professional Tracy Dewich. We'll talk about the nature of this illness and the process of entering long-term recovery. So stay tuned for a conversation with certified intervention professional and recovery coach Tracy Dewich coming up next on Chapters. Welcome everyone to another edition of Chapters. My name is Jim Derrick and today in studio I am thrilled to welcome my very dear friend on this the day after her birthday, Tracy Dewich. Welcome Tracy. Thank you. What a birthday it was too. What Silver a beautiful birthday. day. Yeah. You're up in New Hampshire? I was. I was and I brought this beautiful weather with me from Florida I guess. Where it is currently boiling I know because I came back from a weekend down there. It is. But you love the heat. I do and I'm acclimated to the heat. My yeah. roots are Chicago but I love Florida. Tracy is as I mentioned in the opening a certified intervention professional as well as a certified recovery coach and has become a very important ally, asset, and friend of our local Substance Abuse Coalition, the SAFE Coalition, and I'm really glad that you're here today. So, Tracy, you've been working in the addiction treatment field now for almost 15 years. Correct. Um, A little over 13, actually, and uh, started my journey in sober living, um, actually living in sober living after I got out of treatment, which I really believe in, in terms of the continuum of care. And then I... I, uh, progressed to uh, running that particular sober home and running a couple sober homes and then uh, launched myself into the field of alcohol and drug treatment uh, in other ways, learned all aspects of the business. And then I eventually opened my own sober living home, Tracy's Place in downtown Fort Lauderdale. And um, it just has a soft spot in my heart to help women in recovery. I can see that. And Tracy, importantly, you're a woman living in long-term recovery yourself. Yes, I am. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's been how long? A little over 10 years. 10 years of, of, of long-term recovery. Correct, but it took me about 22 to get there. Yeah. So yeah. I had a lot of failed attempts like we see so many do. Right. You are a certified intervention professional to help uh, people that are impacted by substance use disorder, including the addict or alcoholic themselves and their families. Correct. So an intervention literally is an intervention on the whole family, not just the person who's suffering from the substance use. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... In that, in that way, it's a family systemic model is what they call it, where we treat the whole family and we, uh, as we are trying to uh, get the person who's struggling to see the fact that they need treatment, we also involve the family in that, um, provided that uh, they are willing, mm-hmm. sober themselves. Right. And um, it's, it's, like a, it's like a well-executed play right. is the best way to describe it. And Tracy, as you know, I have been through this process myself with my family. Uh, it is very disorienting. Uh, first of all, the, the notion that the family needed help was so foreign to me. But uh, the more that we learned, we understood that the person with substance use disorder impacts the whole family and the family dynamic and the family indeed does need help. What you helped us do was literally navigate through this. And you you have been my friend and an advisor now for the better part of five years and helped me with the very tough, sometimes the tough talk that, Jim, you know what, you've got a problem in the way you're looking at this and you need to get better in your thinking in order to help your loved one. Absolutely. And in defense of you and many other parents who are faced with that same struggle or obstacle of 
uh, setting the boundaries with their loved ones. You know, we see this disease manifests itself in ways that are mind boggling Mm -hmm. and it takes over the addict and the principles, values and morals that that child was raised to possess and certainly currently has uh, is is literally forgotten as the disease takes hold and it's very difficult for a family to watch that so you know, i hear that all the time tracy in the halls that learn to cope and and through my work with the safe coalition people will say i don't recognize this person they're not who i brought up they're not the child that i remember i tell parents underneath all of that and all the there's a there's a saying that if their lips are moving they're lying and mm. you know it doesn't mean you raised a liar it means that while in the grips of this disease you're not dealing with the same child that you did raise and it sounds like a a really sharp contrast but for those who have dealt with a loved one who's struggling you know what i'm talking about so right and that person what recovery is is literally recovering that person very much so right? for them and for their families very yes and it's trauma to the family you know the addict or uh, i'm going to just say for for short terms the addict but that could cover encompass many things but the addict um, typically minimizes and doesn't under really understand the impact that they're having on their loved ones as they're in the middle of their addiction when i was in the middle of my addiction i have a brother who used to phrase it that i was the tornado that used to plow through everyone's lives wow perfect example wow and 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 leaving havoc havoc in in your wake and correct like a, a wake of destruction behind you and as you continue to use and build up your family's hopes which a lot of us can relate to um and maybe even get some sobriety time and then turn around and do the same thing again and it, then again and then again and um you know learn to cope feeling and what i tell parents is never give up hope because mm-hmm. um all addicts can recover um, and and you know there will come a point where that white flag will be waved provided that they've lived that long and right. it's unfortunate to say that but we all know what's happening right. with our epidemic we these sure days. Do. Tracy you just referenced it so I kind of I'd like to go there now with your permission you mentioned that uh, your own journey and the fact that you're a woman living in long-term recovery so you have a unique perspective uh, on this journey that people are facing. Can you tell us a little bit about your story? Sure. So I was raised in a really, really great family, large family. I'm one of seven children. And, you know, my my memories of my upbringing were all about sports and education and true family values and uh, a beautiful, loving family. And as I got older and started, you know, parting, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. harmless parting with my friends when it started with drinking and, um, led to other substances down the road but not until i was 25 did i find the substance that brought me to my knees which you know uh was was cocaine actually Mm -hmm. and um my you know everybody was doing it and you know it was everywhere you looked it was in south florida it was in the 80s but as people were growing up and starting families and and finishing college um i wasn't doing those things and i could not turn the switch off Mm -hmm. um i had crossed that line and you know, kind of like the party never ended for me. So as people were going home, I was like, where are we going to next? Mm. Um, so it took me multiple treatment episodes before I did establish any type of success in recovery. And mm. we, we, you and I touched on this briefly before we started about, you know, the, the addict who goes to multiple treatments and thinks that they don't work. Um, I can tell you that 
from the oceanfront fancy ones to the state ones. I've been to many. And it all depends on where your head is at at the time because our perspective, the addict's perspective, is different every time they go to treatment. You're only going to get out of it what you put into it. And somewhere, somehow, through the journey, and if they have relapsed, what will resonate with that person is something that might they might have learned at treatment, something that somebody that was a key figure in their life during that treatment stay said to them, uh, and and hopefully they will use that to either get themselves out of a jackpot or pick up that phone and ask for help. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the day? They talk a lot about rock bottoms. You hear that all the time. They have to hit their rock bottom. They have to hit their rock bottom. What was the impetus for you to find sobriety? What was that turning point? Do you have so, one particular moment? Sure. So I have, you know, I sponsor girls in this program. I'm privileged to be able to do that. And they in turn sponsor other women. And I, I like to talk about not only what it was like when I first came in, but the last 24 hours before I did so, because that was the time when I was at my lowest, where my soul was broken. And I had all the resources, to be honest with you, to continue on with the reckless lifestyle I had been leading, and I had decided not to. And I think I can't explain it, but to tell you that inside I knew I was done, and I knew I did not want to continue any longer. Um, I had lost the trust and and belief from my family members. I had lost the opportunity to raise my daughter, um, thankfully to my family's uh, intervention. Um, she is uh, she's a beautiful young lady who's in in college and doing quite well. And, you know, this this disease causes us to lose relationships that we love. And so your daughter's in school right now. She's yes, in college. She's a, she, my daughter is in school. She's uh, She is at Northeastern University. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. And um, she has my, my father's brains, I like to say, who, <laughs> who, was, who uh, is a graduate of MIT. But, yeah. Um, you know, just the values I was raised with, which, like I said, had to do in the beginning with education and sports. She models that herself, yeah. quite the athlete and, you know, very driven, which I attribute that to my father as to why I am the way I am myself. Um, I like to work on one of those people. And I think that that work ethic was instilled at me at an early, very early age from my father. And I think that helped me in my active addiction so that I survived what that war was out there, uh, what that was like. But anyway, my journey, my journey was one of, you know, I was very good in school. I, I, uh, like I said, I graduated from high school. I went on to college. And it wasn't until, in, like I said, in my mid-20s that, you know, I had a taste of something other than alcohol. And it, I had a love affair with that drug for over 20 years. Yeah. And, you know, robbed me of everything near and dear, like I said, including that close family, as well as um, the opportunity to be a mother to my child. Yeah. So, um, And so that moment, that moment when you said... I, I have to get this. This um, is it. I had had many moments where I said I think, that, and I believe in for the for the parents who have heard that yeah. from their loved one. I want to tell you that that is a true, authentic statement on behalf of your child. That, that when they are when they say that, they truly mean that, and I believe in their heart of hearts, they believe that themselves. However, um, this so that, that's I'm sorry to interrupt, but that statement being, I want to stop. This is I want to stop, and and yep. you know this is it, and they. They pick up again and say, "How did this happen again?" And um, you know, I'm a I'm a believer in the twelve steps of recovery, um, abstinence based treatment, and I am a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. But 
people recover in many different ways. Right. And it doesn't necessarily mean they have to go that route. That just happened to be my personal uh, experience. Right. And one of the biggest joys of my life are the people in my life now that I've helped and that are with me side by side, as well as... Um, all the friends I've met along the way. Right. Tracy, I, I thank you for sharing your story. It's a very personal story, obviously, but I could also see the pain in your face as you recounted some of your journey, and I know it's not easy. That said, what I'm learning over time is that I, I'm really drawn to people that have been through a lot of things in their life. Difficult, difficult. I think that is where the money's made, the emotional money, the, uh, the emotional capital is built up when you are at... Literally, if you want to use the term rock bottom in whatever problem you're faced with bankruptcies, foreclosures, difficult with Correct. business, difficulty in relationships, addiction, mental health. We all are going to face problems in life and it's not the problem. It's in all how we respond. And um, so I thank you for sharing that. And I think it's very instructive and important for people to understand that. Um, your loved one can recover, uh, that recovery is possible. Uh, and we, we need to continue to share these stories, I believe. And, and I just want to throw in there that, you know, one of the beauty, one of the biggest gifts that I've ever received, if not the biggest, is the gift that my past does not define me. Yes. And for the longest time it had, because of the hearts that I broke and because of the disappointment I caused others and the missed opportunities, the list just goes on and on right. and on. And um, it isn't that way today. Right. Um, I am no longer that person. I have the opportunity to live a second life in, in one lifetime. And, you know, I make the most of it. Absolutely do. I want to remind everybody, we are speaking with Tracy Duich. Tracy works in the field of alcohol and drug treatment. She's also a woman in long-term recovery. My name is Jim Derrick. This is Chapters Radio. You can reach my podcast at chaptersradio.com. Tracy, we're talking a little bit about recovery, and we, we did so through your, your personal story. I'm, I'll never forget the time you looked at me and, and gave me some important advice. You said, Jim, don't forget to let the person, my affected loved one, know on a regular basis that you love them. Keep reminding them how much you love them in the middle of all this chaos. And importantly, at the same time you let them know how much you love them, you have to create some really firm and oftentimes tough boundaries. Can you talk a little bit about that? When I'm doing an intervention and I've got the family gathered, there are, whether they are present or whether they're, uh, it's a teleconference that they're on, they're on the phone, there usually is an underlying theme of anger uh, and, and, you know, fear, of course. But so that's why I always want to tell the family members when they start off speaking to their loved ones when we're I'm talking specifically when we're doing an intervention that you make sure you start off by telling them that you love them because what you want to do is close the door for the addict to, to continue to use whether you do it in a formal intervention style or whether you do it fr from your own home but an addict with no consequences will continue to do the same things they did mm -hmm. like I did you know, my mother would wait for me when I would come in from using and I, she would literally put me to bed and she would make me, you know, these little sandwiches and cut the crust off. And, you know, my mom was my best friend, but she also was an enabler. Um, she loved me that much. So it's hard to wrap your head around the fact that you've got to lay down the law, draw the line in the sand and literally say door A is going to be treatment and or get help or door B is Sometimes you're not part of this family anymore because if you don't 
close the doors on their using, they will continue to do what they're doing. Like I tell family members, I never tell them to throw their child out per se, but if you're someone who's actively using drugs and alcohol and you have a warm bed to sleep in, you have somebody doing your laundry, you likely cooking you your meals, and sleeping all day and not having to get up at any set time, why would you leave that environment? So we have to make them get uncomfortable so that they can eventually find that comfortability um, and enjoy life free of drugs. Right. So well put. As a parent at Learn to Cope meetings, and Learn to Cope is a support group for loved ones of those that are suffering from substance use disorder. It's a peer-to-peer led support group. And as a facilitator in that, I often hear people say, I could never throw him or her out. I can't throw them out of the house. And you're not throwing them out. You're setting a boundary. You're saying the conditions under which you live under this roof and are supported by us is that you will, in this case, maintain sobriety. You will follow this, these rules. If you choose to live otherwise, you've made the decision to leave. I haven't made the decision to throw you out. You know, and it depends on the severity of of how far into the addiction the person is as to whether any words will resonate. But the bottom line is that providing a safe haven for the addict to use, sometimes with the thought that you'd rather have them in the house using, and if they were to overdose, at least they'll be in the house and you can help them rather than out in the street. Statistically speaking, Um, more fatal overdoses occur in the family's homes than they do out in the streets. And that is, that is, uh, you know, like I said, a proven statistic. However, um, when an addict gets to that point, you know, they're not thinking of whose lives they're touching and they're not thinking of the impact they're having on others. So, you know, you've got to kind of make the decision for them and it's tough to do because you'll turn out to be the bad guy. And, um, you know, from a family perspective, I can only tell you that my parents loved me and loved me and my brothers and sisters supported that, that my my parents' decisions. After my parents uh, passed away, I happened to be sober on both those occasions, thank God, um, I continued to use afterwards. You literally use their deaths as a reason to continue to use, which right. was, you know, what you'll see addicts do. Thank God that my siblings didn't continue to adopt that stance towards me and they put their foot down, which is I mentioned, you know, that I have a daughter and one of the biggest losses I've ever suffered is the fact that I wasn't able to raise her because of the poor decisions that I had made. I wasn't raised to be that way. You know, um, this disease does not discriminate. Like I said in the beginning, I come from a great family. You know, I'm educated, I'm, you know, I'm well-rounded and all that other stuff. The disease of addiction doesn't see that, nor does it care about that. And it had a hold of me. So thankfully, I'm not that person today. And I've and my past does not define me. But absolutely, I have a lot of regrets. You know, we have a saying in Alcoholics Anonymous, we won't regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. I every day regret regret what I put my family through, not only my parents, but my siblings, and um, as well as the fact that I have a daughter out there that I'm I'm attempting to get to know now, and uh, it's a tough thing because taking responsibility for one's actions and looking at yourself squarely in the, in, in the mirror is what an addict in recovery has to do and what so many of them don't want to do. 
because they for so long have been filled with self-loathing. So, you know, you have to forgive yourself before you can continue on. And um, that's one of the toughest things that I see working in the field of alcohol and drug treatment is, you know, the shame and the guilt is what drives the addict and keeps that perpetuation of using just to go on. It's, it's a it's an endless cycle. And, you know, I, I thank you for that. And, and you absolutely closed the loop right there. Because of the experience that you've personally had, you knew, you knew how, in my case, my loved one was feeling, and you knew to tell me, make sure they know they're loved while you set these boundaries, because you personally first had a firsthand accounting of that. I think it's really important and makes you so good at what you do, because this isn't some distant memory. This is incorporated into who you are. Sure. And I can Recovery also remember the righteous indignation I had at the yep. time, like, how dare they? And, you know, when the fact is, it's not about... It, it, you know, thank God for them. And that's what, you know, at the time, setting boundaries, like I said, you know, you're bound to you're bound to get some um, pushback. And not only that, don't forget that you, if you are a parent who's got someone under your roof or someone in your life who's struggling, or, you know, a parent or a family member or a loved one, they're not used to seeing you that way. They're not used to you taking a different stance. They're used to getting one over, as we say. And so when you first do that, they're literally in disbelief, as well as they may push back and get angry at you. So it's time for you to protect yourself as well so that, you know, I see a lot of parents that are up there in age and they did not plan to spend their older golden years in this same uh, quagmire of addiction. So um, it's time for everybody to you know, take a united front to help their loved one. I want to remind everybody, we are speaking with certified recovery coach and certified intervention professional, Tracy Dewich. My name's Jim Derrick. This is Chapters Radio. You can find my podcast at www.chaptersradio.com. And importantly, you can reach Tracy at 561-932-2700. Six, one. So if you find yourself in need of help or just want to have a conversation with Tracy about what it takes to enter recovery, please do reach out to her. Tracy, can we just take a minute? The way that we work together, I, I get a lot of phone calls to the Safe Coalition for people questioning how, the, how they can help their loved one. And so if I could just do a, a few frequently asked questions. One question that's commonly asked, where is the best treatment center and what is the best type of treatment? Okay, so... And that's usually from somebody that's right out of the gate. They realize their loved one has uh, a problem, a substance use disorder, and they say, well, I've got to go get them fixed. Okay, so the first thing, I'm just going to say what I do when I get calls like that. So, you know, obviously, if the person needs help, I'm a believer in treatment. I'm a believer in, in stopping using and learning tools so that you don't go back to using. And that can be found in treatment. Um, there are certain signposts that a person wants to look for in treatment when they're choosing a treatment facility, namely namely certifications and accreditations, but qualifications of staff. Um, but when I get those calls, and particularly if they're people from out of state, you know, I have to determine whether from an administrative standpoint, is this a situation where they're utilizing personal insurance? Do they not have any insurance? Any insurance? Do they have any resources to pay for treatment? And if not, where can I send that person to? Mm-hmm. So it really doesn't matter what you have that way to help contribute towards the treatment um, unfortunately you know it is insurance insurance treatment is insurance is excuse me addiction treatment is insurance driven a lot of the time so after paying the bills sometimes we need insurance correct, treatment right <laughs> 
But, you know, the whole idea is to, I like to minimize any out-of-pocket expense and try yeah. to find the right fit yeah. clinically for that person. Yeah. You've seen people in all sorts of recovery settings. Is there one particular modality that stands out to you or do people find recovery? In well, a I think I personally feel that the underlying trauma is what the theme is for any person that's that's suffering from uh, substance use, from a substance use disorder. Interesting. Um, not only because, you know, the trauma that for the addict also comes from what they've done to their family and they have to live with that. I'm not talking trauma as we know it, which that happens too. You know, we don't really know what the addict themselves has gone through in their addiction. But uh, there is a lot of shame and guilt that has built up within that person and causes them to continue that endless cycle spiraling downward. And, and hopefully, you know, we step in and we were able to help stop that process so that they can get help. Tracy, I often hear from people that um, it's not the drugs, it's the underlying, you mentioned trauma, mental health presentation, whatever. Is that something you agree with? Uh, sure. And there is also, you know, in other uh, words, the drug is a, sol a perceived solution for that individual. Correct. And well, you know, they're they're in disease, thus the word disease, right. you know, and to get out of that emotional pain they use um, not necessarily even on, you know, there are just some people who use because they like the effect of the drugs and alcohol, which was my case and continued to do that and continued to uh you know, lead that type of lifestyle. And by the time I realized that it had had a hold of me, I was too far into it to back the truck up. Right, there right. was no traumatic event in my past that mm -hmm. caused me to go use drugs and alcohol. Um, so we, we, we typically see these days, particularly with the opioid epidemic, that it comes from either a sports injury, dental work is a big one, mm -hmm. um, you know, some sort of related uh, injury or illness where they're prescribed, you know, these... Uh, these, you know, pain meds, and that's how it starts. Um, peer pressure, you know, we could go on and on. Yeah. Depends on age, etc. Yeah. You mentioned cocaine. Cocaine is not a, a, a drug that develops a physical dependency. It does is not. Right? It right? is a psychological dependence. Right. Correct. So, uh, talking about marijuana, other drugs that don't necessarily have a physical dependency, but um, but cause. Uh, uh, and mental obsession with their use. What is the driving factor? Why can't people just put it down when they're an addict? Well, if they're not physically dependent. Because, you know, the mental obsession is, is coupled with a physical compulsion to use. Mm -hmm. And when that sets in, um, there's no stopping them. You know, I just um, came from the Learn to Cope Knowledge is Power conference this past weekend, and there was a really good presentation done by Dr. Ruth Poti about mm -hmm. um, the disease of addiction and the chemical impact to the brain and how the brain works with primarily obsession. And it was, I can't, certainly can't paraphrase the doctor, but I can tell you that, you know, once the idea has gotten into the mind of an addict, it is only natural for them to continue to, to do the next thing, which is to pick up. And um, so, you know, from that standpoint, sometimes medications are necessary. I'm, mm. I'm, I'm a believer in that. Um, but I don't think that they're the cure-all. A pill isn't going to cure right. anything. I think that good treatment coupled with good different types of therapy. Um, I think trauma therapy is vitally important for any addict. Yep. Um, and it will help heal that shame and guilt that they have. Right. Which begs my next question. People will often say to me, well, my, my loved one's been to detox you know, they're pretty much good. And, and is detox treatment? Well, 
you know, I work for a facility, um, and it's the Haven Detox in West Palm Beach, Florida, that offers uh, not only excellent medical detoxification services, but also therapeutic services while they're in detox. It depends on how debilitated from using that that person is mm. as to whether they're even able to get up and go to group. Mm-hmm. But um, absolutely. Um, I think that detox alone is like taking the scab off a wound you're not you don't even have a band-aid on it right um you know the bottom line is is that detox is not treatment mm-hmm. it is the first stop it's abstinence it's it's the first stop of of uh you know uh, we're arresting what they've been doing mm-hmm. and so um there's no solution really yet they don't really know what way to turn yet so no i think that the the uh, journey of, of recovery is a long-term process, mm. and you can't put a time frame on it. You can't say that 28 days, my kid's going to be better. He's going to go to detox, maybe do a little residential and come home. You know, the problem is the addict feels good after that period of time. So notoriously, they'll pick up the phone and tell their family that they're ready to come home. Mm. Um, I do prep all my parents to get ready for that phone call. But, um, you know, the work starts actually, in my opinion, when they get out of treatment, when they're faced with life triggers, when they're faced with obstacles that may come their way. How are they going to cope? Are they going to run back to the drugs? Are they going to take some tools out of their toolbox? Are they going to call their sponsor? Are they going to call somebody that's in their support group? All these things that we teach somebody in early recovery take time. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't happen after a month. Mm -hmm. The continuum of care is something that is so vitally important for anyone that is seeking recovery from alcohol and drugs. So, Tracy, can you describe that continuum of care for us? And when we're talking about the continuum of care, you're talking about from the presentation of somebody that says, I'm ready for treatment, all the way through their recovery, and then on for the rest of their lives. Sure. Yes, absolutely. So, I believe in continuum of care and what that literally just means is that the addict will continue on this journey for the rest of their lives. We don't tell them that or you don't want to have that type of perspective on it because it's a one day at a time program. But, you know, what that means is that to have adopt that lifestyle change that's so necessary for long term recovery Mm -hmm. means going through the therapeutic process of treatment, which can be anywhere from 30 to 90 days, let's say, of, of inpatient. And then after that, continue to stay tied in to some sort of treatment modality. We typically suggest in t- intensive outpatient where at that level, they've started to go back to work, find a job, not the job, and still tied in from a clinical standpoint uh, with treatment. Mm-hmm. So they're attending a group three nights a week or three days a week. They're still getting one-on-one therapy, mm-hmm. but they have that type of freedom where they are out facing day-to-day life and hopefully not returning back to active drug use. So it's a it's a process of reintegration with this new spiritual foundation, for lack of a better word. Great way to put it. That, and- that, that allows them to be substance-free and abstinent from substances, but get back to their lives right and hopefully armed with the with the with the resources to um, combat those triggers if if in fact they do occur mm-hmm. uh, and then at that point 
even after, um, let's say, a year of continuous sobriety, which seems to be kind of like an earmark, yep. you know, we suggest that for me, the turning point for me with my failed attempts in the past was to do what we call service. And what that means is, is that you give back to the program that gave you this new life is right. how I looked at it. So you can make coffee, you can greet at the door, you can chair a meeting, you can go into a jail or a treatment facility and bring a meeting in there and try to give hope to the people who are in there. Um, the best way to um, help yourself is to help someone else. And when I am coaching or sponsoring women, I it's it's vital that if I'm going to be working with them, that they are willing to do all the things necessary to to give back to the program that saved their lives as well. Because I, in fact, do um, tend Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'm I'm in a 12-step fellowship. But again, that's just my personal experience. I think I said this already, that there's many different paths to recovery, mm-hmm. and this just happens to be mine. Mm. And I know for us, a concept that was really foreign to me at first is the notion that the whole family needs to be in recovery. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm a recovery program for parents uh, of those that are suffering. And, and it was through a long educational process and treatment, which involved the families, exactly what you're talking about in that continuum of care, that I realized that I needed treatment and that the treatment for me was as important to my son's recovery or closely as his own recovery journey was, that he couldn't be in a sick family environment, an enabling family environment any longer. And frankly, I found out that having been in the program that I've been in now for the better part of uh, four years, that uh, it has helped me in ways that I never, ever could have Absolutely. imagined. And it is what they say in this particular text, a design for living. And it has worked for me. Jump in. I, I just want to jump in that, um, you know, we're talking about the disease affecting the entire family as a whole. So while the um, your loved one is in treatment, um, it's vitally important that you take part in that treatment process. And most treatment centers have a great family program within the program where they're treating right. the actual addict. Right. Um, I know that you know the recovery team has a family uh, weekend, which is incredible. So Tracy, we're talking a lot about the process. What does it mean to be in recovery? What does that look like? It means a lifestyle change, and it means that it is a constant rededication to staying clean and sober. Um, You see a lot of people fall off, and they come out of the gate, as we say, very well, and then they they kind of fizzle out and they either are uh, fall off the radar or we don't see them in meetings and typically they're using. So there's a saying, and and I can only uh, reference what's worked for me, but if... If you're on the edge, you're going to fall off. You know, stay in the middle. These are the types of cliches that we tell people. So uh, continuum of care is the same thing as finishing treatment, getting out, going to meetings, getting a sponsor, building a support group, staying in touch with that support group, having fun, healthy, sober activities that you adhere to. You know, I know lots of people, young people in recovery that have a lot of fun, you know, and... Yeah, I think that's an important point, particularly with a population that we deal with oftentimes in their late 20s or maybe middle 20s or early 20s even, is that they say, gee, I want to go to that hall where there are all those old people your age, Dad, and uh, hang around and drink coffee and smoke cigarettes with people. Is there... What are we going to do? All my buddies are at the bar. I can can tell you that something that I do, like when I help someone and they're they're younger than me or they're a, um, a man, you were asking about a recent story, so I just one comes to mind of a young man who 
uh, reached out to me and had gotten my name through his mother, who got my name from someone I, I don't really know. Um, I believe it was through Learn to Cope. And I reached out to this young boy. He actually, I had her call, have him call me because I like to see them have some skin in the game instead of us doing for them what they can do for themselves, depending on how far into the addiction they are. So he, in fact, made it into into uh, detox and did treatment afterwards um, for, I think he had a couple weeks under his belt, and then he went back to work. But most importantly, when he was leaving, I asked him to meet me at a meeting. And um, the meeting was at 8.30 in the, in the morning on a Saturday, and he was just charging on a Friday. And he made it to that meeting. And I had some men lined up for this person to meet that were kind of like him with you know, the tats and the bodybuilding and that type of stuff. And um, somebody that he could relate to, in other words, somebody yeah. more age appropriate. Yeah. So I'm a man, not a woman, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and so in that way, I did just hear from his mother, which totally warmed my heart that he is still sober today and he's doing well. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that the person coming out of treatment and going to 12-step fellowship will be a poster child for that fellowship. I personally believe that if the more involved you are, the less chances of using you will have. Yeah, yeah. It's clear to me and that the why for you is intimately tied into who you are, and that's a person living in long-term recovery. And you know what it means when you reach out to somebody. You know what it means do, when you say, meet me at a meeting, and you're actually there, and you remain faithful to that and wait for that person. You're there when they walk through the door. Well, and that mother approaching me and telling me down the road or a phone call that I get just, you know, makes me feel so good. Right. And, you know, we don't do this for accolades. We don't do this so that we can say, look how many lives I saved. It's behind the scenes work that we do because it helps me more than I help them, if yeah. that makes sense. It makes total sense. I do want to remind everybody, we're speaking with Tracy Dewich. Tracy works for the recovery team in North Palm Beach, Florida. Tracy, if people want to reach you, how can they do that? They can call me directly, and I can give that number out at 561-932-2761. Sure. I'm always there to answer any calls. Again, that number would be 561-932-2761. Now, um, you know, my experience is, is that there's there's no addicts don't punch a time clock. So this isn't a nine to five job, as we know. Right. So don't be afraid to call me if it's after hours. My my suggestion is call someone, try to get help. But I'm always here to help anybody who's looking to to, um, you know, change their life. So the recovery team is one of many programs under the blanket of Haven Healthcare. Uh, and we start with a detox and residential program called the Haven, which is in downtown West Palm. And then from there, they go on to the next step, which is, again, that continuum of care we talked about, which is the recovery team. And they come to a, that level anywhere from 28 days to three months and where they are uh, in inpatient treatment, mm -hmm. uh, assigned a primary therapist, they see the psychiatrist. Um, it is a full program. And if you want more information, you can go to recoveryteam.org. Mm -hmm. um, most important is, is the clinical aspect. And, uh, you know, we boast licensed clinicians and a psychiatrist who is on staff with us, as well as a psychiatric nurse practitioner. So it's important as we talk about treatment that we you make sure wherever you send your loved one that you check the credentials you check to make sure that the clinicians are licensed and that uh, you know they have medical staff um, around the clock and mm. or from a psychiatric standpoint that there's a psychiatrist available at all times yeah. not just once every two weeks but anyway um, after 
recovery team, they would go on to the intensive outpatient level of care and they would live in one of our sober livings. And then at that point, they may or may not go off on their own. We've had some people stay in that level for a couple of years. Right. They're doing so well. They're back in the mainstream. But those are the ones that either our owner feels strongly brings back into work for us because who better to attest to the program than those individuals with a couple of years under their belt that want to want to help others. And they also take part in our alumni activities. Mm. Uh, besides Florida, Haven Healthcare has other programs. We have Indiana Center for Recovery located in Bloomington, mm-hmm. Indiana, with a detox ready to open there. Mm-hmm. We also have Center City Recovery in downtown Philadelphia, and uh, that is right in the heart of Philadelphia. All those programs can be found through their websites. Mm-hmm. And if you're interested in finding out more information, again, I just want to give my number out 561-932-2761. And I'm here to help you whether you go to a program that is in your own state or whether you decide you want to come to Florida or Indiana or Philadelphia. Yeah. Or if, in fact, you have no insurance and you just need, you may even want a private therapist for that matter. Right, and um, right. I have a, quite a link with um, private clinicians because that works for people as well. Based on my own experience, it is important to get with somebody like Tracy to help shepherd you through this process because I've found through you, and you've been kind enough to introduce me to a lot of people in the industry that are friends of yours, that this is a relatively small industry. You, you tend to know the good ones, and you also know the red flags um, and what to look out for. So like with accounting or lawyering or any other type of professional, I would argue getting a good quarterback like you, Tracy Dewich, on your team is, is probably the first step that I would recommend to any family and indeed is what I recommend to people now when they get with me. Well, you know, so many families deplete their resources through their um through their experiences with their loved one who's suffering. And you, you, I hear story after story of right. that. And um, that breaks my heart. Yeah. And that doesn't necessarily have to be the case. Um, you know, if in fact you are, um, you know, you do have insurance, there are some places that take insurance and there are some places that don't. Mm-hmm. So having someone, whether it be myself or someone else, help you navigate that system um, is vitally important. Because um, where I work, we're, we're in network with multiple programs, with multiple insurance carriers. Right. But you may have the insurance that we're not, and I'd be able to give you to somebody that does. Again, I vetted that program, and, and we're looking at it all from a clinical standpoint, which is what this is all about. Mm. We, want to, we want to help the addict to get better, and it requires the experts in those areas to help them to do so. Right, right. So, Tracy, let's talk a little bit about you. You live in South Florida. You've been there for how many years? Wow, I've been on and off in Florida for at least 25 years. Yeah, yeah. And I know you moved recently to a location near the beach. I did. So you love the ocean. I do very much. Yep. What else do you get to do down there? What do you do for fun? Work. <laughs> Truer words have never been spoken. Yeah, I, no, I, I, I believe there's healing properties in the sun. I think that's one of the reasons a lot of, the, a lot of families do send their children there because there's something about the outdoors and the healing properties. And, you know, there is a lot of fun in uh, South Florida to be had. Tracy, again, thanks so much for coming in today. It has been great to get to see you again. And on behalf of the families that you've helped here in New England, I want to thank you. Um, I know that there will be some people listening that have yet to meet you. I hope that um, that through this podcast, they've gotten a chance to to know the person behind the telephones. Certainly. And it, also, Jim, it's been my pleasure being here. Thank you for having me. Tracy, one more time, if you could give your telephone number. So I do work for the recovery team, and my personal cell is area code 561 932 
If you'd like to go to their website, it's recoveryteam.org. No matter where you are located, I'd be happy to help. Feel free to call me at any time. And one more time, because I can't say it enough, happy birthday. (laughs) So for my guest, Tracy Duich, my name is Jim Derrick saying thanks for listening to Chapters Radio. I'll see you next week.